Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning. Welcome to the final day of August and the last day of summer, Thursday the 31st of August. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, and thank you for making it one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong and Singapore. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo wrapped up a four-day trip to China on Wednesday with a pledge to make a new mechanism for resolving commercial differences work better than past initiatives that failed to avert conflict over technology and trade. Following her meeting with her Chinese counterparts, Ms. Raimondo said the U.S. and China had agreed to hold regular discussions about certain economic issues in the latest step towards reducing tensions between the world's two largest economies. Ms. Raimondo held the new networking groups as an achievement of her trip. The U.S. economy grew less in the second quarter than previously reported. The U.S. economy grew at an annualized rate of 2.1%, compared to the preliminary figure of 2.4%, and the first quarter's expansion of 2%. Price gains also moderated more than expected, with core inflation, which excludes energy and food, revised down to 3.7% from 3.8%. Private businesses in the U.S. hired 177,000 workers in August. That's the least in five months, missing market expectations and well below an upwardly revised 371,000 increase in July. And China's largest real estate developer by sales is battling for survival after unveiling on Wednesday a record 6.7 billion US dollar loss for the first half of the year. The six-month results released on Wednesday represent the highest ever losses for the group, which was until recently considered safer than many of its peers. And in the filing to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the company said that if its financial performance continues to deteriorate, the group might not be able to meet its debt obligations, which may result in default. The developer also cited material uncertainties that may cast significant doubt on the group's ability to continue as a going concern. On today's programme, I'm joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. And with a view from South Korea is Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in Seoul. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Wall Street stocks advanced on Wednesday as soft U.S. growth and labor market data added to signs that the world's largest economy is cooling. The S&P 500 extended its winning streak into a fourth day, climbing above the 4,500 level to close 0.4% higher at 4,515, and the four-day gain has trimmed the index's August losses to 1.6%. The Dow added 35 points, sorry, 38 points or 0.1% to finish the session at 34,890. And the Nasdaq Composite advanced half a percent to 14,019. Treasury yields initially fell to their lowest level in more than a fortnight as economic data so far this week has surprised to the downside. But US Treasuries bounced off their lows in afternoon trading with the yield curve steepening. The yield on the two-year US Treasury was one basis point lower at 4.88%, while that on the benchmark 10-year note was steady at 4.11%. 
The dovish data led to US dollar selling with the US dollar index dipping beneath 103 before returning back above that psychological level to end the day a third of a percent lower. The yen was the G10 underperformer, with the US dollar Japanese yen rates hitting a high of 146.5 before settling a third of a percent firmer at 146.12, and the Chinese yuan fell 0.1% to 7.2839 renminbi in offshore markets ahead of PMI data later this morning. Stocks in Hong Kong gave up morning gains to close almost unchanged. At the high of the day, the Hang Seng Index had added 258 points, about 1.4%. However, those gains evaporated with the benchmark index one point lower at the close at 18,483. The tech index tumbled 0.9%. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index of mainland companies listed in Hong Kong raised all of a 1.2% gain and more to close half a percent lower. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index was flat around 3,137 as rumours swirled about possible mortgage rate and deposit rate cuts. The move is seen as negative for banks but good for property developers. And it looks like there's going to be a very small rise for the Hang Seng at the open this morning of about 10 points. That's 0.1%. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's a Thursday morning. That means we welcome, as always, every Thursday morning, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Morning, good morning. And also with us is Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. Morning to you, Kenny. Good morning. Um, US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has wrapped up her four-day trip to China on Wednesday with a pledge to make a new mechanism for resolving commercial differences work better than past initiatives that failed to avert conflict over technology and trade. Following her meeting with her Chinese counterpart, Ms. Raimondo said the US and China had agreed to hold regular discussions about certain economic issues in the latest step towards reducing tensions between the world's two largest economies, and she hailed the new working groups as an achievement of her trip. On Tuesday, Ms. Raimondo warned that American companies are beginning to see China as uninvestable, and she called on Beijing to act to reduce the risk of doing business in the country. Andrew, as a result of this four-day visit, do you see any hopeful signs that maybe uh, relations are stabilising and perhaps even improving? Well, I'm trying to work out a couple of things. Both of them agreed that nearly 99% of all the trade between China and U.S. both ways, bilateral trade, it is not included in uh, delicate discussions or in, uh, let's say, concerns. I wonder how she came up with that figure, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I I like to know that. And in that case, they could have resolved this with a telephone call. I mean, she needn't have gone gone all the way to China. Well, you you know, she can do a little bit of shopping, I imagine. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm I'm left puzzled. They, they agreed that they will carry on talking. And uh, at the same time, we've seen that the Chinese had cancelled eight bilateral groups that they were discussing following uh, Pelosi's visit uh, <clears throat> to Taiwan. So I'm always completely at loss to understand what is there that they talk and who does the talking. And once they have finished talking, then uh, what happens after that? Mm. Well, I have- I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not being indifferent. I'm simply puzzled. Okay. 
I have to say, I mean, it was also my first thought that when she said 99% of trade is not subject to restrictions, when you look at the fact that there's, um, there are tariffs and restrictions and restraints on almost every single major Chinese technology company, and semiconductors have been certainly um, restricted quite heavily, it, it seems a bit surprising that she only thinks that's 1% of all trade. Yeah, I, I agree. But who am I? Who am I to disagree? Mm. In general, I'm hugely skeptical about those things. Unless you went specifically there to discuss, for example, the Americans are stopping any form of any kind of uh, advanced machinery to making chips, particularly the ones that come out of Holland, mm. or being sent to China starting, uh, I've forgotten, starting in the next year. Well, that's something very specific. Uh, mm. We can talk about it, but the rest of it, you know. Very good. As I say, it's it's an excellent idea. They'll carry on talking. Mm. It's a little bit of stopping. But, but she said the issues they can agree on and discuss are things like artificial intelligence, the fentanyl crisis, climate change. But I imagine that that's not none of them are really the priority for Beijing. <clears throat> put it, to put it mildly, actually, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And of course, Beijing has to be very polite. Also, I'm saying this was uh, a complete waste of time for both sides. Yeah. Well, Kenny, uh, Peter, Kenny, let's... Peter, basically, there is nothing to buy here or sell. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, we can discuss. I mean, yesterday was my birthday. I mean, let's discuss about it. <laughs> oh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Kenny, what, well, what, I what mention, you... I had to mention it. Okay. Uh, you've slipped it in very well. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of sympathy votes now. Kenny, what, what are your thoughts here? Did you think progress has been made or are you as sceptical <laughs> as Andrew is? Uh, frankly speaking, I totally agree with Andrew that uh, for Hong Kong investors, as you as you all know, uh, we are under great pressure these three weeks. So uh, we just can't bear any uh, bad news anymore. So I think for uh, retail investors, uh, having regular discussion is is uh, uh, is a good news. But uh, we still think that for the Biden administration, they are using what we call 3C strategy uh, for the uh, environmental protection, they will cooperation. And for uh, uh, technology, they will have competition. And for human rights, uh, there will be uh, something like uh, the containment. So especially um, US president election will be next year and Taiwan president election will be next year. I don't. I, I won't have too much expectation on significant improvement uh, in China uh, and U.S. relations. But anyway, I think uh, yesterday uh, the, the four four-day trips will be a good news. Uh, at least not a bad news for Hong Kong investors. Mm. But I think the thing that investors most wanted to see and China most wanted to see was uh, the lifting of these restrictions on high technology exports to, uh, to China. But Gina Raimondo refused flat out to discuss it, saying that you know issues of national security are non-negotiable. So I would have thought that without that, Beijing is going to be rather disappointed by these, these talks because they haven't got anything on the, on the most important issue on their agenda I, I don't think so because you you, you know that uh, for us they are targeting artificial intelligence they are targeting uh, semiconductors uh, it's a little bit difficult for them to to release or cancel the restriction but on the other hand uh, with the latest restriction at least they not including uh, uh, what we call uh, uh, 
biochemical or some uh, other uh, those sector other than the the uh, IT sector. So I think uh, the the coverage or the restriction uh, for the uh, latest round of uh, is a little bit narrow than our, our previous forecast. So uh, in this angle, you can see that at least um, China government uh, will not be or investors will not be too disappointed. Mm. Well, what do you think, Andrew? I mean, my my initial feeling was that the US refusal to relax these measures um, on on semiconductors and other advanced technology, which is by far the most damaging thing Washington has taken against China. Without that, is is there much room for bilateral relations to improve? Uh, No. Uh, You know, I I just cannot see certain key pivotal points in the Chinese agenda, for example, the, any particular issue that uh, touches Taiwan of, of being in some way, uh, let's say, uh, relaxed. And uh, we'll go back to the same thing again uh, on, on key issues on, uh, on technology. Nothing has been done or, or stated. And the lady said uh, that we're not going to touch anything that touches uh, national security. Yeah, mm. fair enough. So are investors going to at least take heart maybe that they're talking and they've set up these new communication channels, which which China cancelled um, last year? At least they're back up and running. Um, they've, they're talking. They're going to carry on talking. Do you think investors will take heart from that? Well, I like, uh, I like what my good colleague here said, that the poor Hong Kongonese are so drained by bad news that any news, <laughs> which is even a remotely not good it's not remotely bad it's considered to be a good piece of news mm. so can you imagine the Hansen index leaping up by saying good god these guys are talking again let's go and buy a lot of shares uh, you know it is this childish i mean it, they, you know investors don't uh, don't work like that in the same way that uh, i'm looking at a scans that cutting stamp duty is going to encourage people to go and buy people buy when they expect earnings to improve. Mm. They don't buy because they cut a stamp duty on, on sales. I mean, it, it is a little bit uh, a little bit childish to think that this is the case. Mm. Also, well, that uh, sales in Hong Kong has fallen because back in 21, we increased the stamp duty. Mm. Well, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more in, in a moment and get your thoughts I'm, I'm also. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help not uh, sneaking that in. Basically. Yeah, well, we're going to get on to it guys. and I'm going to get please, Kenny's please thoughts please on please it. Please as adults, okay, please. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, just before we talk about stamp duty, let, let me ask you about uh, Gina Raimondo's comment that American companies are beginning to see China as uninvestable. Um, is, is that a sense that you're getting from, from clients that you talk to? Uh, yes. Uh, when we, when we talk with our customer, uh, when we uh, our customers, uh, they they are concerned about this. But as just uh, Andrew mentioned, for Hong Kong retail investors, they are still concerned about the fundamental issue on on China economy as well as the stamp duties. This is a very hot topic recently. So, but anyway, uh, the the China Hong Kong uh, the the China U.S. relations uh, is a, a key topic we need to follow up uh, in the future. All right. Well, let me get your thoughts then on stamp duty. Obviously, that's been the, the issue of the week. Well, first of all, the mainland stamp duty, the cutting of that um, in, in half. Um, it was previously, what, 10 basis points. So it's now five basis points. Um, how significant is that? 
Uh, it is good news because first of all, it can reduce the uh, your. Uh, 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 your, your 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 financial your charges, and also it showed that the central government want to do something to not only helping the economy but also the financial market. That's good, but I won't be too silly that uh, with uh, the the cuts in the uh, stamp duties will solve everything because uh, the fundamental issue, as I mentioned, talking about the challenge economy, talking about the property sector, is still a a very large uncertainty or negative factors for investors. So it will only have a short-term uh, sentiment improvement for the market. But for mid-term, mid-term or long-term, we, we still need to see any improvement in the economy or the corporate earnings. Yeah, that is the for, for the China cutting the uh, stamp duties. I, I would have thought that the firms that most benefit from the cutting stamp duties are frequent trading firms where they're putting in a lot of orders during the course of a day. I can understand that they're happy with this um, because it is a significant cost. But for retail investors, um, 10 basis points to 5 basis points, it's not a big deal, is it? Yeah, totally agree. But for example, uh, yes, as you mentioned, for some very short-term uh, high-frequency trading uh, uh, firms or some what we call long-short market neutral hedge fund, uh, they can benefit from the uh, uh, reduction of the stamp duties. And for retail investor, if you think that uh, the ACS market already dropped as uh, uh, dropped to a attractive level, and you are 50-50, uh, whether thinking buy or sell, and, and then with a lower cost. Uh, it may be a, a little bit motivation for you to, to do mm-hmm. more trade. But anyway, uh, what we focus say, what we focus are always the fundamental. But that's why I think uh, the, the latest round of uh, announcement from the central government will only have the short-term positive uh, 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 improvement in the sentiment. Well, Andrew, your chance to give us your thoughts on, on this and, and the impact on the market and on sentiment. No, I'm, I'm listening very carefully to Kenny, which I would in any case. And he's such a good smiling face. And he always sees, uh, you know, a little bit pink in the horizon. <laughs> and, you know, there would we be like optimism. some retail investors. No, Kenny, I think you are, you, you're perfectly right. I, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always incredibly cynical when, uh, when it comes to those things. And actually, what I'm going to interject, uh, Peter, and this is a very, I think it's a very nice general point. You know, the poor Chinese, they come up and they said, we cut interest on deposits by two and a half basis points. You know, my reaction is this big deal. It shouldn't be, because when you have an economy that for nearly more than nine months now, the PPI is negative, it is deflating, and the CPI is growing at zero. If you have zero inflation effectively for the whole of the year, okay, you cannot go around cutting interest rates by 25 basis points or 20 basis points or any chunky amounts because you will enter into negative interest rates almost immediately. You know, they have to measure it out very, very, in very small amounts. And if interest rates are 2.5% with uh, uh, an inflation at 0%, they already have real interest rates at 2.5%. I'm just making this as a generic. Hence, this business of cutting the stamp duty from 10 basis points to 5 basis points have to be taken in the context of an economy which is effectively deflating rather than inflating. That's that's quite quite a chunky, in inverted commas, Okay, uh, a real cut. 
So, you know, I always, uh, I will wear my Kenny face here and I will say, this is very good news. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the direction now why the central government to do so is we see that excess saving in the banking system. They want to push the excess saving into investment or, or uh, consumption. So that's why uh, they do it. But uh, one more point I want to highlight is um, why the uh, China citizen lost their uh, confidence. Uh, I think it is because there are three what, what we call strong belief uh, has been broken down. The first one is uh, in the past, they think that uh, the large property company like Evergrande uh, will not default, too big to fail. And the second one is the property prices will keep, uh, keep rising. And the third one is trust product, which is a kind of uh, wealth management products, will not default. But in just in this year, we, we see that uh, three strong belief has been broken. That's why they lost their confidence. And that's why the economy uh, is getting uh, is under pressure. So if we can't turn out this issue, uh, what we what the central government do is only helping the for the short term uh, for the for the uh, financial market. That's I want to add on uh, on on the discussion. Mm, so how are they likely to react to this news about Country Garden, which is really battling for survival now, isn't it? It's just unveiled a, a $6.7 billion loss. That's US dollars for the first half um, of the year. Um, it's warned that it could end up in default. And it has also said that if things get worse, um, there, it will cast significant doubts on the group's ability to continue as a going concern. In other words, to, to avoid bankruptcy. I mean, this is pretty dire news isn't it? Because China, uh, Country Garden, uh, was until recently the largest property developer in China, and it was sort of regarded as being immune from the property crisis. But um, how are re investors going to react to this news? Uh, Andrew, any solution can share with us? Uh, yes. I, uh, you know, Kenny, I just, I just finished a long piece on what ails the Chinese economy, which is incredibly easy to write. Okay, a five-year-old will be able to do it. Simply by opening up my Bloomberg and looking at all the major and minor Chinese indexes, all of them, A-L-L, 18 of them, all of them are either coming down or shrinking or at the best flat. Okay, there just aren't any good news. And the only part to which I will take away and I will look at it uh, like that okay praying that it goes okay is the index of new newly built property prices in 70 major and minor chinese cities which has been going down it has not been declining it has been shrinking i'm talking about a negative year-to-year -year growth for 18 months one and a half years coming up to two years my god if that's not doesn't make you gloomy you know every month that passes property prices of newly built homes are coming down. I hate to think what's happening on the second-hand market. Okay, so it's the, the, the state can do very little. You know, it's not for me to advise the Chinese government what to do. The only observation that I would make is the insistence that fiscal deficits would be kept around the 3% is really irrelevant in the case of China, that it is a net external lender. It is an external lender. It has it has been lending rather than borrowing money from overseas. It is not Argentina. So it can afford to become a very large 
net debtor domestically because this is not going to affect its external sovereign ratings. It is not going to affect primarily the rate of exchange, but it will make a lot of difference if the government said 3% deficit will jack it up to 6% and they will still be way be below what the Americans and the Japanese are looking at, which they're looking at 9% plus, okay? And they will have plenty of money to pump in. So ever granted, it's not going to be an issue. And remember, the Americans do it all the time. They rescue banks right, left and center. Go back six months, we had a major banking crisis and they yes. simply lifted, they broke all the rules concerning uh, deposit, insurance deposits and they guarantee the, the deposits of, uh, of banks whose deposits shouldn't have been guaranteed. In other words, yeah, they said, we're, we're going to spend money and make quite sure uh, the retail uh, uh, investors do not lose their money. There is a great deal of things that can be done and uh, resistance uh, to, to rescue the financial sector uh, might be old fashioned uh, kind of approach to the monetary policy. But I'm afraid it's not it's not the ideal thing to do in China right now. So I sit here mumbling to myself, increase the fiscal deficit. You don't have anything to worry about. Increase it. Jack it up from three to six percent saying we're going to spend as much as it is necessary to make quite sure that the property sector does not collapse. Yeah, my, my worry is that uh, the central government still under discussion what they should do and without any conclusion. Because uh, you know that you're talking about the physical deficit, they already uh, increased from 2.8% last year to 3% this year. So from their point of view, they're already doing something to boost up the economy, but they don't think that they're under situation of financial crisis. So uh, and another example is that uh, for last week, uh, as we all know, the LPL, they keep the five-year five LPL mm -hmm. unchanged. That's a little bit surprised for me. So I think, yes, I understand that you can increase the physical uh, deficit, but it's just they, they are not ready to do it. So uh yeah that's uh what what i'm thinking yeah, the, the pboc was always famous for increasing or decreasing interest rates by such minute steps you know uh five basis points ten basis points okay up and down that it it doesn't it doesn't surprise me i think there are reasons for that and the only reason that i could give is, is that in an environment of very low inflation you can only move interest rates by very very small amounts so it's, yeah. it's a numerical issue as opposed to to purely uh, to purely a monetary issue. Okay. Okay. Do you think, Kenny, that uh, the Chinese government will sit back if um, if Country Garden can't survive? Uh, frankly speaking, I I don't think that uh, uh, the central government will help uh, the the Country Garden because uh, it it just help it just can't help. Uh, everyone mm. and also now the uh, key policy focus is uh, asking the uh, uh, the public provide uh, company to keep building the home building the houses for the citizen so in case you have money you shouldn't to pay back your debt you shouldn't <laughs> but you should use your money to build houses in that cases letting them default or unlisted uh, but use the money to build the houses. I think driven by this uh, policy pri uh, priority, uh, they, they, the, the chances to helping this country garden is not really too high. 
So what does this mean for Hong Kong stocks and investors here in Hong Kong? Every rally that we seem to get on these these news seems to be short-lived, doesn't it? Maybe we get a rally for a couple of days and like yesterday, then seems to run out of steam very quickly and we give the gains back. Um, what, what do you think the outlook is for the Hong Kong market? Yeah, because as we mentioned, uh, up to this moment, we don't solve the fundamental uh, concern. And uh, that's why any rally will be only soft-lifted. And especially, uh, we are still quite cautious on the property sector, uh, uh, including the country garden. Uh, we know that it, or the stock price has already uh, dropped down a lot. But what we worry is it may be delisted. So. Uh, two to three weeks ago, we already suggest our clients to to uh, offload or sell their holding on Country Garden if they still holding it because mm-hmm. uh, the the unlist uh, uh, the potential to be unlisted is a huge challenge for investors. Mm. So what about this task force that the Hong Kong government has set up then to, to look at stock market liquidity in uh, in Hong Kong? What would you recommend uh, they do? Uh, actually, we're focusing on the stamp duty. That is a uh, free suggestion we make. First of all, is cutting the stamp duties. It's mm. very easy to understand. Uh, the second one is we can uh, temporarily to cancel the stamp duties that may uh, maybe last for uh, six months or a year. When every, everything uh, back to normal, you can start to, to receive the stamp duty again. And the third one is, as, as we all know now, stamp duty two side, two way, uh, we can become a one side. So it's theoretically cutting by half. So we have three suggestions for, for government, but uh, I, I, I don't think, I, I think that cutting the stamp duty is a very uh, a sense, political uh, sensitive uh, suggestion. But up to this moment, they just they just set up their committee and discussion meetings without any actual action. It's a little bit behind the curve. Mm. Is there anything else they can do apart from tinkering with stamp duty to try and boost stock market liquidity and to try and make also Hong Kong more attractive for IPOs? Uh, one more is uh, maybe we can following just like U.S. Uh, we can buy uh, the stock in 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 one lock, in lock one lock in one stocks. Then will be more easy for retail investor to uh, enter the market. For example, for BYD, you're talking about a uh, hundred thousand uh, Hong Kong dollar for one lot. It's a little bit um, mm. challenging for retail investors. Okay, Andrew. What what are your thoughts? This uh, this committee that's been set up to try and boost uh, stock market liquidity. What what would you advise them to look at? Actually, the, the last issue that Kenny raised about uh, making the 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 stock lot uh, smaller. A client of mine with a completely straight face uh, asked me uh, if, in fact, the government feels perfectly okay and the people feel perfectly alright to be handing out two thousand vouchers to go and spend them in uh, in cakes or in uh, uh, in Yamcha. Okay, why not give people 2,000 vouchers to go and buy shares? Uh, you know, there is there's something to think about this here. And if the, the lots are, are, are significantly reduced, uh, let's say it is, it is an interesting idea. But then it is too specific on retail investors and it's too specific on one single market. And this is not going to help restaurants or retailers but uh hmm interesting <laughs> yeah i agree 
Okay. Well, look, thank you both very much for your um, for your thoughts this morning. Stay safe. Typhoon's heading our way. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. You heard there Andrew Ferris, who is the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Kenny Wen, who's head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. <laughs> I'm joined now by Peter Kim, who is Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities over in Seoul, South Korea. Very good morning to you, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we're coming up to uh, the end of August, the last trading day um, of the month. Let me get your thoughts, first of all, on some of the main issues that we've seen in terms of uh, market performance. I suppose the big, uh, the big theme, really, hasn't it? There has been disappointment over uh, the, the rebound since China reopened after it lifted all its COVID restrictions, both the economic performance and the market performance disappointed a lot of investors. What are your thoughts? Uh, indeed. I mean, if you uh, uh, rewind back at the beginning of this year, um, China rebound from the uh, lifting of the COVID restrictions was supposed to be the positive for equity markets. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think for the U.S., they were uh, hunkering down for a big disappointment with a supposed recession that was going to hit the U.S. Uh, eight months in, it seems like the uh, entire... Uh, uh, reverse has happened, right? Uh, U.S. has a surprise on the upside and China has disappointed on the downside. Um, there are talks about China's woes coming from uh, long-term issues like demographic uh, uh, decline as well as the rising debt. But personally, I think it's a misdiagnosis because those are very, very long-term mm. uh, uh, drag on growth. I think the immediate uh, uh, factors are Two, one is the uh, China's government's uh, uh, priority over stability rather than growth still remains. Uh, we don't, we haven't seen that massive uh, pro-growth policies from China yet. And I think second is a little more sensitive issue, which is that the uh, during COVID we had uh, China pivot from a very aggressive market reform to something lesser. <laughs> Mm. version mm. Uh, politically and i think that's definitely had an impact on consumer and investor sentiment mm. i mean on the demographic front i mean that's often cited and, and the comparisons made with with japan in the uh, in the 1990s when we had those lost yeah. years but south korea also has demographic issues doesn't it but it hasn't suffered in the same way that china has that, that's right i mean uh uh, South Korea, actually, for the past 10 years, uh, has been under the cloud of that demographic cliff. I mean, they're the world champions in uh, low birth rates now. Uh, and as we've seen from uh, Korea, uh, you know, the demographic decline is like, a, you know, a one big uh, oil tanker. You know, uh, it's uh, slow, gradual, but sure. Uh, and once it's set in uh, uh, place, it's difficult to reverse. And I think that's what uh, uh, we've seen from Korea and probably what we'll see from China. So I don't think uh, uh, the birth rates is uh, 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 the reason that we can point to. Um, after all, we've only really seen few six months of uh, deflationary um, 
uh, factors setting in. So um, it's a factor, but probably not the one that we should be focusing on. So let's try and focus on what is the the reason. One thing that I hear a lot from from clients, from from people um, involved in the China market, is they get the feeling that the environment for private companies has turned very negative. That the central government doesn't really like private companies. We've seen all these sudden restrictions often come out of the blue, which have cracked down on on private companies. Um, and and Gina Raimondo, she she described it as uh, for some American companies, they feel it's uninvestable. Is is that the, the one of the main issues? Do you think? Um, it certainly is, but I think uh, with a probably uh, differing focus. I think uh, if you talk to people in Asia, uh, it's, we can just uh, uh, nail the main reason to lack of transparency. Um, transparency on policy, transparency on the direction of their. Uh, the Chinese government for their private enterprises, how they treat the entrepreneurs. I mean, we need guidance, um, uh, but we don't have that at the moment. Uh, When you talk to the U.S. investors, I think it's probably less about transparency. It's more about political framework, isn't it? Um, The Mm -hmm. uh, human rights, property rights, uh, rights of uh, uh, the the employees um, that they send over. Uh, so I tend to find that when I speak to U.S. clients, it's still very much politically driven. Um, I think uh, something that's more economic and something more relevant for us is that uh, the Chinese government, I think, should really think about, OK, they've, they've had a shift in uh, political um, uh, roadmap, uh, then provide us with fun. Um, you know, uh, it's fine that they have a pivot on their political direction, but still uh, it doesn't mean that they don't have to. Uh, forego transparency. They can still provide transparency under any type of a political regime. Mm. And that was an issue, again, that Gina Raimondo raised uh, with her China counterparts, that rules were often uh, imposed rather arbitrarily in their uh, in their opinion, and, and it really was very hard to know the rationale behind them. Um, and she cited things like, you know, the raiding of, uh, of US consultancy firms sort of out of the blue and employees being taken away, that all these things put off uh, foreign investors. Yes, I mean... Um Watching what we are seeing from Russia, it's hard to avoid the connection that further down the line, and it could be many years, so it could be a decade or so, uh, that China could be in a similar situation where um, a, a, a very harsh decoupling from the rest of the world could happen. And I think that's probably what uh, uh, Ms. Raimondo was referring to, that you know, uh, the, given what's uh, happened geopolitically, that China could be in the same bucket. I think it's a little bit um, more of a sort of overreach at this point. Uh, but after <laughs> what we've seen over the past two, three years, you cannot count anything out, can you? Mm. So the, the risk is maybe not so much America decoupling, it's China decoupling. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think uh, the investors must be thinking back of their minds that um, the possibility of China continuing in this direction and the pace in which they've already uh, seen this political pivot, um, you know, uh, two, three more years of this, uh, you know, you could have some real ramifications um, that investors has to face now.
Mm. Well, that's another reason that is constantly cited that I'll be interested in your thoughts on is is the lack of stimulus. Um, investors have been hoping, praying for some sort of economic stimulus, fiscal stimulus from the central government. And after all, they have huge surpluses. They've got the world's biggest um, foreign exchange reserves. Um, they could easily afford to unleash a massive sort of fiscal bazooka um, to try and pull the economy out of uh, deflation um, and to give the uh, to give the economy a big boost but they seem very reluctant to do it and investors seem very disappointed um, over that do you think this is a, a valid reason it is valid but i think uh, on this one i'd probably side with the chinese government uh, on their prudency uh, of holding back on that big stimulus because ultimately uh, what we've seen from uh, japan was 20 30 years of stimulus that really led to nowhere on stimulating growth. Uh, and that was caused by just, you know, accumulation of government debt uh, that really wasn't uh, uh, transmitting into long-term growth. And I think China is cognizant of that, uh, the, to not to follow the Japan's lead by using up precious silver bullets uh, for short-term reasons and then to uh, corner themselves into uh, options where they may not have any. And I do think that uh, they are waiting for uh, absolutely the last resort in order to use that, and probably something that I would uh, uh, agree with, because after all, investors always want short-term gratification. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think they have anything more than this year to really uh, think about. And the Chinese government is probably a rare government that is looking at the long-term picture, uh, because after all, I mean, uh, um, major recession that could possibly lead to social unrest. I mean, uh, that's something that uh, um, uh, that I'm sure they will be ready to uh, avert uh, if the need arises. Mm. The, the, the China does have the advantage, though, that it could let the, the yuan weaken, couldn't it, which would give a boost to its economy. It could, um, but I think, once again, um, that's a conventional economic... Uh, response, but to me, a greater issue is is that it's not about Chinese products becoming marginally more competitive. It's about U.S.-China tensions uh, mm. and the division of supply chain. Mm. So, uh, you know, which is easier? Uh, yes, uh, currency weakening five percent is easier, but effectiveness is certainly got to be resolving the trade disputes. Well, well, the third reason that's often cited is the woes of the property sector. And now we have news that Country Garden, which was at one time China's biggest uh, property developer, it isn't anymore, but nevertheless, it's uh, just unveiled a huge first half uh, loss and warned that it may default and warned that it may not be able to continue um, as a going concern. This is just going to be another big shock on top of several shocks in the property market, isn't it? Well, I think uh, the positives of all of this on the Chinese property sector is that it hasn't uh, has the black swan effect that everyone's everyone knows about it, everyone's been warned about it. So I think at least we've gotten over the risk of a uh, 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 blow up that people are not expecting, and that's usually when uh, systemic risk arises. So I think that's a positive. Uh, I think the second point I think is that uh, it's engineering. Chinese government is engineering the property sector as a a, a symbol of the uh, the need to be more disciplined 
uh, and the need to control that. I think it's very symbolic, and I think that's what uh, the positives are. Obviously, on the negative is that they still struggle with the property sector excesses, still have the debt problem, still have some of the shadow banking systems still uh, lingering in the system. Mm-hmm. And these are the type of stuff that takes time. And I think uh, it's certainly taken longer than I expected. I expect I didn't expect them to go through this almost 10 years now, right, of uh, deleveraging efforts. And I think uh, that's what happens when you have a one big excess and all this uh, of the type that China has had, uh, and the inability to really flush it out without a recession or without a, a big restructuring. Uh, 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 it's been a long, tough road, hasn't it? Mm, it has certainly indeed. Uh, looks like it's going to continue yeah. as well. Let me finally just get quickly your thoughts on the US market. The big feature really the last uh, few weeks has been US Treasury bond yields rising. The 10-year yield now well above 4% um, and, and mm-hmm. rising to 16-year highs, although it has come off a bit uh, in the last couple of days. I presume that it's getting to the point now where this starts to put pressure on valuations of US stocks because there's a real alternative now, isn't there, to US stocks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the outperformance of uh, U.S. that I alluded to earlier uh, and the surprise that uh, the investors have been caught with um, has been the underappreciation for the abundant liquidity that still exists despite the higher rates. Uh, and that has driven the uh, market rally year to date. Um, and, um, you know, we've heard about how uh, uh, large companies in the U.S. have been able to refinance that debt so that it goes for a uh, three, four-year extension, and, and it would be 2026 before that starts to bite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's some validity to do it, uh, but I think for overall market, the, uh, the liquidity is still there. And I think uh, the short-termism of stock investors that if it's happening 2026, for now, we don't have to worry about it, and uh, that they continue to seek ways to um, uh, get uh, returns. Higher yields on the bond market, I think, signals uh, the slight hawkish tone that we've had from Mr. Powell, uh, from what everyone assumed to be uh, uh, maybe a dovish turn, uh, starting from next year, maybe it's not going to happen. I think that's uh, probably the most meaningful part, but I still believe that the uh, equity market, uh, we still have liquidity uh, coming from uh, still very expansive fiscal policy, uh, massive central bank balance sheet, which has come down a little bit from a peak, but still abundant from a historical perspective. So higher rates by itself is not tightening uh, the liquidity that we've seen in the past. And I think that's a, a important point. Peter, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Pleasure. That's Peter Kim, who is Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities over in Seoul. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On tomorrow's show, I'll be joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. With a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten Partners. Please join me again tomorrow. Money Talk.